Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. It's just great to be with you. Very excited about today's topic, which is the eight practices of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching. Today's podcast is called the Eight Practices of Emotionally Healthy Preaching and Teaching. Now, when I first began to learn to preach and teach regularly, I struggled a great deal to find my own voice, uh, to teach and preach in a way that came out of my unique personality and temperament and calling and all of that, not be copying other people. Uh, And then, of course, once I got onto this journey that we call emotional discipleship, it really freed me uh, and set me on a journey of integrating what we call this operating system theologically called emotional health uh, into preaching and teaching. It was such so freeing and uh, it really brought in, I would consider, missing elements of so much of what I was taught about preaching and teaching. And so I, I and I found over the years that so many other people struggle with teaching and preaching for Jesus uh, in a way that not just reflects themselves, but flows out of a deep inner life with him. And uh, so today I want to talk to you about eight practices that I, I would say really apply the riches of the theology underneath emotionally healthy discipleship into the way that we teach and preach. Now, I'm talking about teaching and preaching in, in a variety of contexts. It can be, of course, preaching sermons in churches on a regular basis. It can be teaching classes uh, for adults, for young adults, for children, for youth. It could be seminars. It could be classes. It could be family devotions. Uh, it could be for 10 minutes. It could be for 30 minutes. It could be for an hour. Uh, it applies to all contexts. And uh, the key is that you want to do it in a way that where teaching and preaching is light and easy, even though it's challenging, rather than heavy and hard. That you're teaching in a way that's actually strengthening rather than diminishing your relationship with Jesus. And you want the process to be marked by joy and spaciousness rather than anxiety and pressure. Uh, I know the negative ones. I've lived that. Uh, And so we want to do our preparation and our delivery differently. So I'm going to talk about eight practices today, uh, and they're going to be found in this free ebook that's available to you uh, as of today. And I, I uh, again, excited about making this available to you. We've been working on this for the last few months. I've been preaching and teaching on this topic of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching for a number of years, uh, but it's now available to you on an ebook. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preaching, and it will be there for you. It's free. Again, it's at emotionallyhealthy.org slash preaching, and you can download this uh, eight, nine page ebook I trust you'll find it very helpful. So I'm, I'm going to, there's eight practices. I'm going to talk about them each one by one. Uh, again, I, each one, it could be expanded quite a bit. Now, I'll probably focus on a few more than others. I'm going to let myself just let you imagine you're sitting here at the table with me, and I'm going to talk to you from the gut uh, about these things. And uh, may the Lord meet you in the process. And I hope you'll find it as encouraging as, for me, the process has been encouraging. Again, putting it into a clear, clean ebook. Uh, all right, so let's begin number one. Uh, the first practice of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching is to slow down for loving union with Jesus. Uh, the first practice is to slow down for loving union with Jesus. Now, it's easy to preach messages about Jesus without actually being grounded in Jesus. I know this because I've done it. The pressure of having too much to do in too little time is difficult to shake, and it often results in a very rushed preparation 
process. That's why I'm convinced the number one struggle for most of us who are teaching and speaking in the name of Jesus is to slow down enough to remain in loving union with Jesus, that we're abiding in him, John 15, so that his life is flowing out of us. Remember, the greatest gift you can offer people is Jesus inside of you, flowing out of you. That out of the soil of your life, uh, we're bringing Christ. We can't bring people where we've not gone ourselves. You cannot give what you cannot possess. We've got to allow his word to penetrate us deep enough if we're going to allow it to, to penetrate people deep enough. Listen, just think of the story of Mary and Martha. It's, it's the, it's, to me, it's, it's the most imp- one of the most important texts for preachers because if you remember the story, uh, Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha, these two sisters, and Martha is very busy serving Jesus. She's doing a lot of preparation, but she's missing Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he could say. And Jesus says, she, Mary has chosen the better part. You can be preparing messages and, and preaching and teaching a lot, and not being with Jesus, not preaching, not not actually sitting at his feet listening because you've got too much to do. And so number one practice is I want to be a Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus and I'm listening to him. I'm living in loving union with him. Uh, and actually, as I got on this journey of emotionally healthy discipleship, I got a lot less concerned about all the you know, my points set as clever as possible to have the best illustrations uh, is everything flowing so beautifully. I mean, yes, I want, I concern, I'm concerned about structure. I want great illustrations. I want good introductions and endings, but they became less important as I focused on loving union with Jesus as a lifestyle. Uh, so then my preaching and teaching came out of that. And Jerry would always say that the most significant shift in my preaching and teaching came out of uh, when I really began to live out a slowdown spirituality that included silence and Sabbath and stillness, uh, she said there was a marked difference in the preaching. And I actually began to enjoy preaching a lot more because I was very aware that I'm giving Jesus to people out of my life. And that's and I want to be and I want to be present with him, Jesus, and people in that process. So that's number one, slow down for loving union with Jesus. But the second practice uh, of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching is to create space as well for the text to deeply transform you first. That you create space for the text to deeply transform you first. I don't care what the topic is, but the crucial question to ask is, have I taken the time required for the truth of this text to sink deep into my soul and become a part of me. In other words, have I eaten the word uh, so it's a part of me? And this requires meditating on the scripture, Lectio Divina, maybe memorizing the text. I would often memorize the text. It was a, especially a shorter text throughout the week. Because if we preach without experiencing transformation ourselves, we can't expect our sermon to have much of an impact on the people we're speaking to. Again, we cannot give what we do not possess. Another benefit of creating time to immerse ourselves in the text is that it enables us to work through the complexities and the nuances of a topic personally. So in other words, if I'm preaching on forgiveness, I have to wrestle with maybe it's the process of forgiveness. It's not just when I'm deeply hurt, uh, I instantly, oh, I forgive you. I, I don't feel pain when I'm in your presence. Again, the deeper the hurt, the longer it takes to forgive, and then that whole process of praying for a miracle, etc. It makes one much more nuanced, but I've got to allow time for that 
text to go into me. So say I'm preaching on Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, but then again, I'm, I'm in seasons of, I have seasons of grieving or lamenting. Well, how do I put that all together? Or how do I pray continually? First Thessalonians 5, 17 says pray continually when I can go through hours of my day without even thinking of Jesus. I got to wrestle with that. Letting that text come into me. How do I integrate the problem of suffering uh, that's in the world or in my family with the reality that God is good? And the pain of that. So again, it's having adequate time to let texts sink deep into us. Again, I think of Ezekiel and John in Revelation, the apostle, eating the scripture. That's challenging, but it's actually the most fruitful work we can do for those around us. So for example, just a couple of quick examples. I, uh, I was preaching and teaching to pastors and leaders the Emotionally Healthy uh, Discipleship Course, part one. Uh, and uh, we were doing Know Yourself That You May Know God, 1 Samuel 17, the story of David, who was knew himself and knew God and charged Goliath. And how he takes off Saul's armor, he picks up his slingshot and a few smooth, few smooth, smooth songs, stones, and he charges Goliath. And he, set, he brings Goliath down. He, he sets the whole nation free. And it's a beautiful story. And I, I was wrestling with, okay, God, am I being faithful to you with living out my unique, unrepeatable life? Uh, do I have the courage to break from even what I've done in the past, step into new territory, maybe even being misunderstood? And what's the Goliaths that are in front of me right now that you're inviting me to bring down? But taking time to let that text go into me is very important. I did a session on developing a rule of life, which is actually on session eight of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, section of the course. And uh and I was looking at my rhythms of prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And I've been through a season of some real challenges, had to make some real adjustments in my life so that my being and doing is balanced. And so I'm, I'm doing for Jesus uh, That's in a way that's sustained by my being with him. And um, I was able to share uh, how I've had to make some real adjustments uh, with the group. I put on, I put on actually on a... Uh, on the screen and let people look at it and how hard it was for me to embrace limits and recognize I can't do everything I want to do and yet God was in this, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it was very powerful, very, very powerful. And um, so creating space for the text to deeply transform you first, regardless of what the context is that you're speaking to in is, is a, a key practice. And a third practice is to allow the text to intersect with your family of origin and your culture, to allow the text to intersect with your family of origin and culture. It's one of the real foundations of emotionally healthy discipleship. Uh, and that is we go back to go forward. And we recognize that Jesus may live in our heart, but grandpa's in our bones. And so we're in the new family of Jesus. So every text and truth of scripture is going to intersect and clash with our family of origin and culture. And so I'm always asking that question, how is this intersecting? So if I'm preaching on, for example, financial stewardship or generosity, I'm asking myself questions like, what have I internalized in my family of origin about security, about power, about money? Uh, and the answer is a lot. Uh, and uh, so, for, and how are those messages impacting me today? In fact, I was speaking to a, a, a group, I was doing a devotional uh, with our board recently, and I was sharing out of the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. When the devil comes to Jesus and says, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus at that point is starving. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. And Jesus says, humans shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that 
comes out of the mouth of God. And I realized, wow, I mean, the text is talking about Jesus could have used his own, his power to turn those stones to bread independently of God. He could have used his gifts and power and position to manipulate things ahead of God. But he trusts God. He makes the choice to trust God and does not surrender or, or succumb to that or get seduced by that temptation. And then I just had to, I was wrestling with, okay, what ways do I use my power, my gifts, my abilities to basically function independently of God, to meet my own needs rather than trust God in a way that's inappropriate. Uh, and I had to do some wrestling and surrender to that and the temptation to, in a sense, use God to run from God. It's a great, great moment. So the third practice, I allow the text to intersect with my family of origin and culture. And that's why, again, a tool such as a genogram and the impact of your family of origin is so important. Uh, and if you've never done a genogram, you want to do that. You know, check into the course and other materials on our website. Very, very helpful. Okay. The fourth uh, practice of emotionally healthy teaching and preaching is to preach out of your vulnerability and weakness. To preach out of your vulnerability and weakness. So this actually uh, I avoided for a very long time. And as I began the journey into emotionally healthy discipleship and got more deeply into the grace of God uh, and the love of God, I began to have more courage to preach out of vulnerability and weakness. Now, I'm not talking about using that as a sermon technique, which is what I was taught in seminary. Uh, I'm talking about the kind of weakness and vulnerability that we see that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, this is critical. Uh, I, in my early years of preaching, I highlighted my strengths and my successes, and I used only general stories to illustrate vulnerability. The problem was they weren't coming, those stories were not coming from an authentic lived experience in my own following of Jesus. But if you listen to my messages uh, uh, after 1996, when I started this journey, they're radically different because I began to talk about my failures, weakness, and struggles. I began to share publicly about my own wrestling and difficulty with biblical texts and truths that I struggled with. It was very uncomfortable in the beginning. I was actually frightened by it. But over time, I realized it was where the greatest life moments were happening in my messages. And it became so natural and second nature to me. Uh, yes, I continued to do exegesis and study and look for great illustrations and develop a coherent flow, but I dropped my perfectionism. And I finally realized the most impactful, powerful part of my messages was the power of Jesus coming through my own struggles and weakness around a text. And that Paul was right when we're genuinely weak in ourselves, we're strong in him. And so what it showed in teaching to me is that when we teach out of our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, it places everyone in our church on equal footing broken and forgiven. We're all wrestling together to obey God's word in our lives. And what's great about being older now, and I'm preaching to a younger audience, it could be teenagers, people in their 20s, and I'm sharing about real struggles like today with texts and truths of God. People are often shocked, like, shouldn't you be beyond that? I'm like, absolutely not. I, I, I live every moment of every day completely dependent on the grace and the love and the power of God in the Holy Spirit. So uh, preach out of your vulnerability and weakness. These are all so good, aren't they? Number five, uh, the fifth practice of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching is to be present. 
say that again. The fifth practice is to be present. What I mean by that is, uh, you see, when we preach and teach, it's easy to be more focused on ourselves than the people to whom we're speaking. So instead of being present to them, we're preoccupied with how we're coming across. What are they, what are they thinking as I speak? Or, you know, is this message making sense? Or do I need another illustration somewhere? Did, did anybody notice that I stumbled over there in that last point? And we get so wrapped up in ourselves and our content and our theological precision, precision sometimes that we end up treating people, as Martin Buber says, as it's, not thou's. In other words, we unconsciously treat our listeners as objects, not human beings. Uh, and I've done this more than I care to admit, uh, especially when I was rushed in my preparation. So whether you're preaching or teaching to an audience of five or 5,000, the most important gift you can give them is to see them as thou. Be present, not in it. They actually matter. Now, here, here's a, a little tip which I've used and uh, as a recommendation for you, before you begin to speak in your next context, it can be, again, it could be family devotions. It could be a, a classroom. It, it could be, a, again, a, a class. Take maybe five or 10 or 15 seconds and just be still. Take a deep breath and look directly into the faces of the people to whom you are speaking and see them. Be present with them. And then be present with yourself. Take a nice deep breath and begin. Listen, love covers over a multitude of sins, it says in First Peter. <clears throat> and that presence and love for people coming out of you, that's why you're doing this. It is so, it's intangible, but it's so powerful. And you, maybe you can't describe it, people can feel it. I know as a listener, I can feel it in a room. So... Be present. Love that point. Wish I'd heard it in the beginning when I started. The sixth practice of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching is to surrender to God's painful process for message preparation, birth, death, and resurrection. That's surrender to God's painful process for message preparation, birth, death, and resurrection. Now, you're probably saying, well, Pete, you just talked about spaciousness and joy and the preparation process and the delivery. Now you're talking about pain. Yes, Yes, yeah, both are true. Uh, listen, I spent decades preparing and preaching sermons, thousand, over a thousand sermons, and I've, I can't even imagine how many talks I've given uh, in all kinds of different settings. But very rarely uh, has a message come to me easily. I'd say less than five sermons uh, have come to me easily as if I were taking dictation. Most messages, the large majority, have been birthed through a slow and painful process of God working in me, the text, and through me, the text. Uh, and there's been a process. There's always a process. I'm so used to it now. I start out excited about a truth and it's birth. I'm like, yes. And then as I am begin to try to put it together in a coherent fashion and study, all of a sudden I'm saying to myself, this is horrible. This is like death. I, I'm all over the place. This is going to be a disastrous message. This is not coming together. I got to get out of here try something else or try a different message. But then if I stay with it and continue praying, working on it, eventually resurrection comes. And it's like, ah, this is the most important message I've ever preached. You know, that happens to me with these podcasts. Like today, I'm saying, this is the most important podcast I've ever done. I say that to myself almost every week. Uh, and again, this patterns persisted for decades. Uh, so if you can, I mean, and I've asked people, I said, is this just me? Am I crazy or is this like normal? 
And my talking with leaders from around the world in all kinds of contexts, uh, this is a pretty consistent pattern. Uh, this is the norm for most speakers whose people speak in the name of Jesus that I know, I've known for years. I wonder if God doesn't do this to us to keep us humble and broken and dependent on him. Do you understand? If you know the content, yeah, I preach this five times, I can get up and just spin it off, spin it out of me. The question is, are you doing it out of a place of abiding and dependence? God, for some amazing reason, loves to keep us with a limp like Jacob, dependent. We stand up there, no matter how much prep we've done, we know that, okay, God's got to come through here. Uh, I actually know for myself, there's times when I have overprepared and I've committed the sin of perfectionism. Like, in other words, God saying, just let it go, Pete, trust me in this thing. I mean, I, I'm a big study preparer. My, one of my sins is overpreparing out of failure to trust. And uh, that's been one of my points to just say, okay, this is, this is it, Pete. It's, it's whatever. It's Thursday. It's Friday. It's Saturday night or whatever it is. And just, just hey, you've prepared. You've worked. Okay, let it go. And uh, to move on. Okay. The seventh practice of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching is to devote sufficient time to limit yourself to one main point with specific applications. Let me say that one more time. It's very important, especially if you are a more recent uh, beginner. I'm talking about your first five, 10 years of speaking regularly. That's this. Seventh practice is to devote specific, sufficient time, devote sufficient time to limit yourself to one main point with specific applications. Now, in my early years, I would have three to four main points in each message I was giving. It could be, again, it could be a devotional I was doing for a few people or a sermon message, but I wanted to ensure that at least one of my points connected with people. Now, it took me a while to realize, okay, this is coming out of my anxiety and feelings of inadequacy way more than God. And then what happened was, because I had three or four main points, I never fully deeply developed one and it left, it watered down the real main point God wanted to bring across. So please, please hear me on this. I, and this is hard because you need, I say this is, this point says this, devote sufficient time to limit yourself. It really takes time because most of the time by the way, we're, we're, we're exhausted. We've, oh, we've got three, four points and we're like, okay, I've done so much work. This all I got. I'm, I'm going to deliver it. No, you're not done yet. Uh, you've got to ask the question, what is the one point God wants people to take away with them from this message? What's the one point God wants people to take with them and apply from this message? That's the question you want to ask. And when you get to that one point, everything revolves around it. And then you begin to cut all this other stuff. And so what happens sometimes for me, I'd have one point, but I might have three applications of that one point. Uh, but you're nuancing it. You're coming at it from every angle possible. But I, I, I see myself as I'm driving that home deeply into people's hearts. Uh, and I stay with and I trust God that if I've heard, you know, if I've got the point, stay with it. There's other times, other messages, manna will come for that. And then you want to make applications that are specific and clear to people's different life situations. That takes a lot of work and time uh, to do because people are... Uh, in different spaces in their journey. Some are babies, some are been in Christ three years, one year, one day, 30 years, 50 years. Some are seeking Jesus, some are baby Christians, some are in crisis, some others are in joy and grief and transition or doubt. Some people are single, divorced, widowed, parents of young children, married couples. 
So a, a core part of my message prep is not just getting one main point, but I'm thinking about specific applications. That takes time uh, as well. In fact, you might want to ask some people about how talk to them and how it might apply into their life. And what happens when you do this work on the seventh point of devoting sufficient time to limit yourself to one main point with specific applications, you realize, oh, um, I can't do all this. I, I have I have way too much material now. And then you end up trimming other parts of your message to make ample room for specific applications. This is where you start editing. And I find so many people stop right here. They don't do 0.7 um, and uh, they have just too much content. And so people, it's kind of like a, you're, you're spraying milk at a nursery and you're hoping something's going to get into the baby's mouth. You know, it's like, no, you, you've got to focus here and trust God's in you. He's put you in this role. I know you're not, you say, who who's equal to such a task? I say that almost every time I get up to speak. I say, what am I doing? Speaking for God. It is really something, but it's like overwhelming. But yet God entrusts it with human beings like you and, and me. Uh, so you want to devote sufficient time to limit yourself to one main point with specific applications. And my eighth and final point is to connect your message to next steps for spiritual formation. You connect your message to next steps for spiritual formation. Now, this applies especially for preaching in a large context, or um, it even could be in a smaller classroom as well. In other words, preaching and teaching is critically important for shaping the culture of a community and equipping people to follow Jesus. And I, you know, I, I but it's not enough. To grow and mature, people need an intentional discipleship process. And that's why it's so important that you're thinking about the next step. So for example, if you're teaching a message on loving your neighbor and healthy relationships, you might teach some skills out of emotionally healthy relationships like clarify expectations, do a workshop, or clean fighting versus dirty fighting. If you're teaching a series on prayer, you might have a, a half-day retreat or offer a course on ancient spiritual practices that have stood the test of time. Again, the possibilities are endless. What's important, however, is to connect your, whatever you're teaching and preaching on to a larger plan to support their spiritual formation. So let's review the eight practices of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching just one more time. And I'm going to mention them in the form of a question that you can ask yourself. Number one, am I preaching and teaching? Am I slowing down for loving union with Jesus? Practice number two, am I creating space for the text to deeply transform me first? Thirdly, am I allowing the text to intersect with my family of origin and my culture? Fourthly, am I preaching or teaching out of vulnerability and genuine weakness? Fifthly, am I present with the people and myself? Sixthly, am I surrendering to God's process for preparation, which is birth, death, and resurrection? Seventhly, am I devoting enough time to limit myself to one main point What's God saying with specific applications? And finally, am I connecting whatever I'm speaking on to a larger next steps for folks' spiritual formation? The question is, which one might be most important for you to begin applying today? So again, let me encourage you to download this uh, free ebook on emotion, eight practices of emotionally healthy preaching and teaching. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preaching. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash preaching. I think you'll find it very, very helpful to have in your library. So I'm humbled and I'm grateful that God may have used my years and preach of preaching and teaching and continues to, I hope, to help others be more like Jesus and follow him. But no question, the one person who has been most transformed by my messages 
beyond a shadow of a doubt, is me. All those hours in scripture applying God's truth to myself and to the people who've been listening over these decades has profoundly changed my life. And that I consider one of the greatest gifts God has given me in this earthly journey. And my prayer is if you have opportunities to teach and to preach, because as he who, you know, is an overseer, he who teaches, it's a great thing that you may find that this is true or will be true in your own life as well. It's a great honor. So God bless you, everyone. So good to be with you today. I hope uh, this has blessed you so that you in turn can bless others. Have a wonderful day.